If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. So, Ed, we just finished a, a rather long conversation about the New Testament. Yeah. And how the New Testament came together. And I whatnot. loved it. And then we had to take a break because we'd been sitting here for a very long time. And We've reached the age where we have to stand up after well, a, yeah. a little while. <laughs> yeah. So, we stood up and then we wandered around in the trees. For, I mean, we didn't wander around the trees together because that right. would... I just have to make sure that my, yeah, that really would be weird. weird. Really weird. <laughs> but right. you wandered off in that direction. I went off in this direction and we, we, we right. went and explored nature and then we came back. Right. And I had to make sure my legs worked. Yeah. 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 And so now uh, you want to keep this conversation going. I do. I do. It's, um, it's a fascinating thing as I move farther and farther and deeper, uh, farther up and farther in to uh, Catholicism. I think about how the Catholics, at least my perception is, what they think about the Bible and how they use it. When I was growing up, I think I said this in the very first podcast I was in, but I'll say it again. Uh, I was sitting in church with, with and my mom, my mom is, uh, she's reading along in the Bible when the pastor talks. And I said, on the way home, I was like maybe 10 or 12 or something. I said, mom, why do you read along? Surely, you know, he's not, surely he's just reading out of the same Bible. She said, Whenever they talk, you open up your Bible and you, and you follow along so you make sure they read it right and they're not trying to trick you. So early on, it was a, um, reading the Bible was a big deal in the Baptist church, Protestant churches. It was a big deal. And in my 20s and 30s, um, I started thinking, I, I, I feel like I know what's in there. Like, I... And then I started thinking about the early church and how they didn't have one to read every day. I think I said in the last podcast, they didn't have one to read with their coffee. An interesting thing, when you said we were going to talk about this, this conversation popped into my mind. I was working for the big church and we were talking about the Bible and as the word of God. And uh, one of the secretaries was in the staff meeting and she said, well, but you can't change this or do whatever that you have to read it out of the word. And, and we said, uh, uh, our mutual friend who was one of the pastors there said, well, like we both said, well, what do you mean? It's the word, read it out of the word. She said, you, that's what changes people. The, uh, the word of God has power. It will go forth. It will not return void and so forth. And so you have to read the word. And we both said, well, don't you think then that it's actually though what, what it says, not the actual words, but the meaning behind it. And she said, no, it's the actual words. You can't, you can't, you can't mess with that. That is Protestants put a lot of stock in reading the Bible. And, but of course, as we've pointed out several times, it's now come to my attention that they disagree about what it says, which calls into question the point of reading the Bible. You know, I, I mean, I still do, but it's not, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Oh, I know exactly what you're saying. I I mean, it's this kind of hyper reverence for scripture. And as soon as those words come out of my mouth, I sound like I can hear myself. I can hear 
people were listening who go, you sound like some kind of a liberal progressive, you know, because right. of the hyper reverence <clears throat> of scripture. What else can there be? I mean, like I was a Calvinist of Calvinists. So, you know, hyper reverence, there's no, you, you know, you can't revere scripture too much. So you must be equivocating on that or trying to undermine it. But there is this sort of hyper reverence of the printed word. You know, you tell that story about your mom. Yep. And I remember, of course, you know, back in the day, you'd go into, a, I don't know how it is anymore, but you would go into most Protestant churches and in the pew, in the pew rack, right? There's a Bible, there's a hymnal right. and a pew Bible. Yeah. Right. And then I remember when I was in seminary and when I first got out of seminary and when I would go especially preach at more conservative, traditional Protestant churches, Calvinist churches, Reformed churches, it was super important to reference what you were reading. So you would literally say, in your pew Bibles, turn to, you know, whatever, right. you know, it was. You're going to say, you know, Matthew, you know, 12, whatever. Or, and which you can find on page 356 right. of your pew right. Bible. Right. And then wait while everybody picks it up and sure. flips to that page so that they read it along with you and we can all agree that That's we're reading says. the same yeah. thing and I'm, I'm making something up. And I remember when I was in seminary, we used to go out and do these kind of internship kind of field yep. assignment things. And one of the things they would do is send us as seminarians out to some church to to preach on a Sunday or, you know, midweek service or Sunday night service or something. And then you would get evaluations back, right? So right. They, the seminary would send along these evaluation forms and like the church elders would fill them out. And I remember getting called in my advisor's office after I had gone out and had preached at this one reformed church. And he goes, you got some negative feedback on these evaluations. And I'm like, what did I do or say? Right. right? And they said, well, I won't try to tell the story because I couldn't understand what you're saying. He said, when you read the Bible, they couldn't see it. And, and I'm like, I don't understand what you mean. They couldn't see it. I don't, what do you mean? I told him to look on page 356. Right. right? But, but what it boiled down to is because my advisor called them to try to figure out what they're talking about. So I was up at the, the pulpit, right. which is, you know, obviously elevated three, four feet or something like that. And I had the Bible oh. sitting on the lectern and I was reading it. But from their angle where they were sitting in the pews and looking up, they couldn't see the physical book. And what they felt that it was important to I do is that I hold the physical book of the Bible in my hand and lift it up so that they could see my eyes looking at it while right. my lips were moving, even though they were following along with what <laughs> right. I was reading. Right. And that if I didn't do that, that I, that I wasn't, no, they weren't sure. Like, you know, he's like not. he could have tricked not, us if, he could have tricked us if we weren't following there along. There was some way that he could have tricked us. Like, but you are following along. I know, but I want to make sure that I can see your eyeballs fixed on it while your lips right. are moving. And you go, some of this just got kind of weird, right? right? So what I want to talk about is this notion that, so I guess I say that to establish yours and my bona fides that we both come out of uh, life experiences and history where th the reverence for scripture was extremely high. Right. You know, as a Protestant, the sola scriptura, right? right? Scripture alone is the only source of truth and Christian truth and et cetera. And as a, you know, as a Calvinist or whatever, 
yeah, we have bona fides. I get it. So if you're a listener and you're like, man, I'm really nervous about Catholicism because, you know, you guys don't understand how important scripture is. I understand right. it. Ed understands it. But let me tell you kind of the journey that I took to Catholicism to understand that Catholics, while they revere scripture, put it in a larger context. So the way I want to do this is I want to begin with the term, the word of God. Yeah. Okay. So if I say to you, what is the word of God? What is God's word? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? The Bible. The Bible, right? 99.999999% of Protestants out there, if I say, what is the word of God? What's God's word? The Bible. And by that, they mean what we've talked about in the last two episodes, the Old Testament, right. the New Testament, the printed right. written word that is printed or written so that you can see it and then they're not you know, tricking you, right? Here, here's the challenge. That's not what the Bible itself says. Right. Right. So this is what's super weird is that you say, well, I believe only in the authority of scripture, scripture alone. And you go, great. But the Bible, the scripture doesn't describe the word of God as the printed written scripture. Right. What do you mean? Well, it, it tells us exactly what the word of God is. I mean, I'm not making this up. If you, as I was as a, as a Protestant and I believe in scripture alone and I go to the words of scripture, here's what the words of scripture is. John, gospel of John, chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he goes on to describe that the word was made flesh and incarnate in Jesus Christ. And we are witnesses of the word. So you know what? the word of God is in God's yeah, word. Right. In the scriptures, the word of God is the second person of the Trinity. Right. The divine logos. Right? Right. So there's a divine Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Son, the second person of the Trinity is the word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word was made flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we are witnesses of his word. That is John chapter one, baby. So if you're a sola scriptura, scripture alone, that's what God's word is. Right. Now, God's word, the second person of the Trinity, the word of God, is made flesh and made manifest into this world primarily through the incarnation. Jesus right. literally is the incarnate word of God. So when we talk about God's word can accomplish all things, God's word is the sole source of authority, only God's word. You know what is only God's word? The authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the word made flesh, the word incarnate, the word in our world. And he is the word of God. Now, while he was in this world, mm -hmm. incarnated, while he still, you know, is, but I mean, while he was in his earthly ministry, do you know what he did? He said things and he did things. And as I said in the last episode, he instructed his apostles in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 20, go into all nations, making disciples and teaching them to obey, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and I will be with you to the end of this age. And then he says at the ascension, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. So the word of God is made incarnate in Christ. And then he commissions the apostles to go out and share the truth about him 
to unite people to the word of God in baptism and the sacraments and to teach them to obey the commands of God's word and God's word, Jesus, will be with them to the ends of the earth. So a real understanding of the word of God is a Christocentric, a Christ-centered understanding. Now, in obedience, as I said in the last episode, in obedience to that great commission, the apostles went into all nations, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching right. them to obey everything they can. And in service to that, as he means to that, they wrote down some of the things that he said and did. Because as I said in the last episode, at the end of the Gospel of John, John says, if everything that Jesus said and did were written down, the world itself could not contain all of the books right. it would take. So some of those things they wrote down. And those are the written scriptures which testify to, are witnesses to, are records of the word of God. Do they have authority? Absolutely. Listen to the last two episodes. They have apostolic authority. They are one of the ways that the apostles transmitted the truth and the witness and the stories and the commands of the word of God was through the written scriptures. And the written scriptures have authority to tell us Essentially, they are the witness or part of the witness that the apostles leave us about the things that Jesus said and did. Right. Am I making sense? Yeah. So I think part of this is to understand and have a proper understanding of of our terminology. As Catholics, we talk about the scriptures, the Old Testament, the New Testament, as we last up as the 73 books of the Bible. Right. We talk about the Bible as the scriptures, the holy scriptures. We declare that they are infallible. Right. Right. Inspired. Inspired and infallible scriptures, which are the written testimonies of the apostles and others to the word of God made incarnate in Jesus Christ. Yep. The difference is that as Catholics and Orthodox Christians and all ancient Christians, we don't believe that's the only way, that it is not only through the written scriptures that we know the word of God. Because I can think of at least a couple of other ways that we know God's word. Mm-hmm. The one is, and again, this will have to be another episode. If Jesus is the incarnate word of God, the word of God, as John says in chapter one, the word of God made flesh, then one of the ways that we know and experience and united to God's word is through the sacrament of consuming his flesh and blood. Mm. Yeah. In John chapter six, where he says, when you consume my flesh and blood, when you eat my flesh and blood, when you take Holy communion, you become united to me, the word of God. Now, when we take communion, Holy communion, when we take the Lord's supper, we become united to God's word. We experience God's word. Now, Obviously, there's different modes or modalities of experiencing God's word. So, you know, when I read the written scriptures, I learn things, I learn stories and instructions. But when I go forward to take communion and receive the word of God Mm -hmm. made flesh, I become united to him in a different way. Right. 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 Okay. But that is a union or a participation or a reception of God's word in my life. So obviously, it's not the same as reading the book of whatever in the Bible or reading a gospel, reading a story, reading a psalm, whatever. It is a different way that the word of God is given to me. Yeah. There's another way that we experience God's word, and that is in the person of the church, because Jesus says, 
This is my body. So if, if Christ is the word of God made flesh, and he then says, the church is my, my flesh, right? right? In community, then we also experience the word of God in the person of the church. Mm-hmm. In our union to the church, which is why in the Great Commission, he says, go into all nations, make disciples, and do what? Baptize, Baptize. them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because that unites us in baptism to the word of God in the community of the church. So if you think about it, at least three different ways, the word of God is given to us in baptism, when we are united in a sort of existential way with the word of God. It's given to us in the sacraments, uh, particularly sacrament of, of communion, when we eat his flesh and drink his blood and right. have a participation in the word of God. And it is given to us in the written scriptures when we listen to the teachings of the word of God given through the apostles. Mm-hmm. And all three of those ways we participate in and are united to God's word. So the Catholic church, and what I would just say is all the ancient churches, because the Orthodox would agree with the Greek Orthodox and the ancient church, God's word is a bigger concept. Yeah. Of which the written scriptures are a subset. Yeah. Now, one of the things about that is that we also talk in the Catholic church about tradition. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, we could probably get into a much longer episode about the history of apostolic tradition and the right. authority of popes and councils and all that. But let me just put it in this context. As I said in the last episode, Here's what the Great Commission does not say. Jesus does not say, okay, guys, here's the deal. Uh, it's at the Last Supper. They're in the upper room. Right. Tomorrow I'll, or tonight I'm going to get arrested by the Romans and, you know, I'm going to get put on trial. And then yep. tomorrow afternoon I'm going to die on the cross. And then I'm going to lay in the grave for three days and I'm rise again. And then when I'm done and I come back, Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then what you want, I want you to all to do is get together in a room somewhere. You can use this upper room if you want, but then get together and write a book. Then what I want you to do is make a million copies of the book and distribute it to the world because the only way that people, that I can communicate or that I can unite with people or that I can accomplish my purposes is if we distribute a book to the world. He doesn't say that. Right. He says, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. Go to the ends of the earth. Go to all nations. Make disciples. Baptize them and teach them to obey everything I have commanded. Right? So it's the, the authority of the apostles that gives the scriptures, the written scriptures, their power because they are the means or one of the means right. by which the apostles accomplished the Great Commission. That does not diminish from their authority. As right. Catholics believe, we believe that the written scriptures are inspired, infallible, and authoritative. It doesn't diminish from that. It just understands them in that context. But the apostles were commissioned to make disciples and to build a church. And one of the things that we've talked about before is in a sense, it is the, the church, meaning the community of the word of God in Christ commissioned and led by the apostles. It is the church that gives us the scriptures, written scriptures, rather than the written scriptures that give us the church. And this is a fundamental gap between Protestantism and Catholicism, yeah. whereas Protestantism 
by and large, especially American evangelicalism, sees that the, the, the Bible comes first, and then what you have is a community of like-minded people who all read the Bible and agree with, their, with a particular interpretation of it, because they can't even agree on this. So the, those Protestants say, well, the Bible is authoritative and inspired, and they also go, and, and everything's based on it. You go, well, you guys can't even agree about <laughs> baptism, <laughs> right. whether baptism should be given to children or to adults. Uh, whether how communion should be taken. You can't agree on moral teachings. You can't agree on liturgy, on worship, right? So go into all the different denominations. Look at Methodists and Baptists and different forms of Baptists and different kinds of Presbyterians and non-Presbyterians. Look at Anglicans, look at this. So the notion that scripture gives the roadmap or the game plan or the playbook to the church isn't even borne out, you know, by observation. So... The thing is, it is the, the authority of the apostles that was given down, and some of that authority was written down on certain issues. But other things were not written down. Okay? They were handed down by tradition. Now, one of the principles of Catholicism on this is that tradition never contradicts Scripture. This would always probably say, well, you know, if it's tradition, now a pope or something could just make something up and contradict the Bible. No, it, it can never, because it all comes from God's word. And if we have believe the Holy Spirit, we believe in the unity of God's word given in these different ways, then, then they'll never be in conflict. But there's a lot of questions that are not addressed particularly in Scripture. Right. So, for example, how the, the church in its early years was established and led. You know, you don't have clear teaching in scripture about the organizational charts and leadership of churches. If that was as clear as some Protestants say, then why can't Protestants even among themselves agree whether there should be bishops or councils or presidents, right. right? Or synods or congregational leadership, right? But what we know is that the apostles established the early churches under the rule of bishops from the first years, and that's handed down. We can look at the role of the sacraments. We can look at baptism. So one of the arguments that we used to have as Protestants was, well, you have infant baptism versus believer baptism, and both sides can find verses in the Bible that seem to support or they think supports their right. position. And Protestants who claim that the Bible is totally clear and right everything else right. can't even agree amongst themselves. However, all of the ancient churches go, well, from the time of the apostles on, children were baptized. It's infant baptism. Right. That doesn't contradict the scriptures. We now look in the scriptures and we read that through that understanding, which is handed down by the apostles historically. The same thing, I could go on to dogmatic things and doctrinal things about the Trinity, the understanding of the nature of Christ as the second person of the Trinity, the understanding of these things. You know, we read scripture through those understandings, which have always been the, the Christian perspective, the apostolic perspective. So the authority the apostles handed down. Does this all make sense? Yes. Now that I see this, and we've talked about this before, so this is not a new thought for me, but uh, this thought for me is about a year and a half old. Now that I see it, I can't unsee it. Okay. So now uh, I think about the, the Protestant church in its entirety. It's just the wild west. My friends and I would often debate and discuss scripture, and we all agreed that the Bible was authoritative and that it contained the truth. 
and we couldn't even agree among ourselves what it actually meant. That that didn't occur to me, that I didn't see that as contradictory or a problem, now sort of stuns me. So there's a 25-cent word comes out of my Calvinist Reformed background. Wait, I think I know it. What is it? Perspicuity. Perspicuous. Perspicuous. Perspicuity. Perspicuity. Use that in a sentence with your wife. Okay. Um, that's, that's a little easier than deuterocanonical. Right. Uh, so, but if you can get away with perspicuous, you could say, well, honey, I think it's, you could talk, be having a conversation. Right. I think it's pretty perspicuous. Right. Um, we shouldn't go on the rain. It's that's perspicuous. Well, perspicuous, yeah. what it means is clear, right. unambiguous. So it's a fancy word right. that comes out of reformed or Calvinist theo- thinking or theology that says that the, that the Bible is perspicuous. In other words, its teachings are clear and obvious to anyone who is the Holy Spirit and is inspired by the Holy Spirit to read it correctly. So you go, well, what happens when, for example, even in Calvin's time, you go, okay, well, uh, you've got Calvinists who say we should baptize infants, but in another part of Europe, you've got proto-Baptists who are baptizing adults, not infants. Right. And you would say, well, it is perspicuous and obvious. It's just that those people <laughs> don't have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit hasn't made it clear to them. And you go, well, is it clear? Well, it's clear to those who have the eyes to see it because the Holy right. Spirit has told them the right way to see it. See, it's weird. And I found as I went on, reason I converted, one of the reasons I converted to Catholicism is I found these, myself getting twisted in this pretzel logic that I couldn't explain that or defend that. So if I had a Baptist friend who said, I said, well, Scripture's perspicuous on the subject of baptism. Right. And he would go, well, no, it's not. And he would cite all these Baptist scholars. And I would say, well, yes, I understand that, but those people are all wrong. Well, how can right. they be wrong? They quote all these, I know, but they're reading them all wrong because the Bible is very clear to anyone whom the Holy Spirit has illumined it to, to make it clear. And that's us and not you. And it sounds dumb because it just sounds dumb, right? right? To, 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 you can't defend that. So this notion of the perspicuity of scripture, that scripture is clear what I would say is that on a lot of these teachings, and let's go back to teachings like the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy right. Spirit, and the right understanding of what the Trinity is and the three natures of, you know, the, the three persons of God, one God, three persons, and all that. All of that is clear when you come through the history of the apostolic, okay? So in the early church, an understanding of that was handed down and transmitted so that when you read those passages in the Bible, you're reading them through the lens of historic Christian orthodoxy. And even my Protestant friends would say, well, yes, there is a sort of historic Christian way of reading this. And I go, right, that historic Christian way of reading is the the teaching of the apostles that has been transmitted. You know, here's the thing. I think that whenever you talk about this, what I would have said 20 years ago, uh, 25 years ago, is my defense shields, right? My force field, force shields right. or whatever, uh, like in Star Trek would go up because I'd go, man, this is some Catholic who's going to undermine, you right. know, the Bible and everything else. And, and anything that tries to equivocate on this and add other qualifications and aspects, the way to right. understand God's word is just a way that in a sense diminishes the authority of the Bible. Because if you say you revere the Bible, but you revere some other stuff, then, then you're not revering the Bible. It's not, whole, it's not holding primacy of place. That's right? where I would have been two years ago. Okay, so here's, here's how I want to challenge that and say that love or authority and fidelity is not a zero-sum game. 
Okay, so this is a term, a zero-sum game. A zero-sum game is, is the concept that there has to be a winner and a loser. The winner takes all. Right. So in a zero-sum situation, whatever comes out as the winner gets all the chips on the table. Right. Right? The loser gets nothing. If you conceive of authority and fidelity to the word as a zero-sum game, it's either the Bible and nothing else. Right. Or it's the Pope and nothing else. Right? Right. Right. But that's how they frame it. The Protestant frames it that way. Well, man, it's the Bible or nothing else. Because if you introduce this other stuff in here, then, you know, if you introduce the Lord's Supper and you introduce the person of the church and the apostolic authority, then, man, the Bible has, you've taken chips off the table of the authority of Scripture. Right. But it doesn't really work that way. Because here's my analogy. You, you're a father. Right. So, you know, you get married and you love your wife and you, I mean, I totally love my wife. And then you have a baby. And you go, well, do you love your wife less because now you have a child as well? Is it a zero-sum game? You have to love one more than the other? Or can't right. you love them both? And can't you see yourself now as a family in which I love my wife right. in one way because we have sort of a dimension to that relationship and I love the child that we have produced in a different way and I love them both equally but in different ways and they have different functions and roles. Right. So the role that my wife plays in my life is different than the role that my child plays in my life. Right. But I love them both and I give them the same, in a sense, the same level of faithfulness and authority in my life. Does that make sense? Yes. It's like and, if you had a hundred units of love and you, and you love your wife with all 100 units of love, then you have a baby. You, now you love your, your baby with 30 and your wife only gets 70. It doesn't correct. work that way. That, that, and I think that's where the Protestant understands that if you look at this from a Catholic perspective and say, hey, I recognize the Eucharist and communion as the word of God received this way. I recognize baptism and participation in the church and the church itself as a way that I receive God's word. If I look at apostolic authority, then somewhere, like you say, if I've got a hundred units or a hundred chips, I have to take some away from the Bible right. to get to the other. But now let's say I have a, we have a second child. And you go, oh my gosh, I only have so much love to go around. I only have so much author right. so much faithfulness, so much to give of myself, so much authority that can have in my life. You know, if I'm gonna be loyal to the one child, I can't be loyal to the other the same amount. And I can't be loyal to my wife anymore because we've got these two kids, or I'm gonna be loyal to my wife, not the kids. But what happens is that your love and your fidelity, your commitment expands and in right. a mature way understands that those people in your life all have different roles that your wife there's a role that that plays in terms of and the children and then more children and more children right. and if god blesses you with many children that in a sense they're all important to you right and let's even throw in the mix that your parents are important to you right and you're capable of loving your parents and letting them have a particular role in your life of loving your spouse and letting that person have a particular role in your life and loving your children how many there are and let them all have a role in your life and where i'm going with this in the same way i can say the written scriptures i'm faithful and loving and right. committed to them they are inspired infallible and authoritative I also recognize the role of the sacraments as being another way that God's word is made real in my life. Right. 
I recognize that my participation in the church through baptism and being united right. into the, the body of Christ is another way that God's word is made manifest in my life. And I recognize the authority of the church is handed down through the apostles yeah. yep. and the councils and the successors of the apostles as another kind of of way that God's word is made manifest. And none of these things are in contradiction with each other. And none of them are a zero-sum game that subtract anything from the authorities of scripture. But it's a bigger view of how manifold and manifest and complex and generous God's word, the second person of Christ is, in coming into our life, into our world, and surrounding us with all of these different layers and levels of authority. So as a Catholic, do Catholics revere the written scriptures? Absolutely. Catholics were the ones that, from as our last two episodes, right. Right. preserved and gave us the scriptures right. and, and copied them down through the ages and gave them to us and taught us them and, and, and defended them against heresies. Right. They also recognized the authority and the power of the sacraments, the authority and power of the right. church and the traditions of the church. And all of that, it's not a subtraction from the Bible, right. but is an expansion of, of the bigger concept of God's word of which the written scriptures are a part. The, the Catholics were the ones who kept track of this. The Catholics are the ones who maintained its purity. The Catholics are the ones who, yeah, as you said, defended it against heresies. The Catholics are the ones that... Uh, who sorted through all of those uh, documents that were floating around right. in the first century and decided some of them were authentic and canonical and some weren't. And it was the Catholic Church that gave us the canon. And then when it was challenged over the ages, defended it. Up to and including the Protestant Reformation. Go back two episodes ago when we talked about the Old right. Testament, where the Protestants tried to rip books out of the Old Testament. Right. And it was the Catholic Church that said, no, it is the received text, the canonical text right. that was handed down that we defend. So I, I think this whole thing about this kind of Protestant hyper-devotion to the, to the written printed Bible and understand, and in a sense, it limits and it, it's a smaller concept yeah. of, the God, of the word of God. And again, there's going to be a Protestant out there who listens to this and goes, well, if you say that the Bible is a smaller concept, then you don't respect the word. Right. Then you haven't listened to anything I've said. Right. You just haven't listened to anything I've said in this episode or the previous two episodes. The, the Bible and the Catholic Church teaches it is inspired, it is infallible, right. and it is authoritative. But it also teaches us that it is the written word of God that works in conjunction right. with the other ways that the word of God is made manifest in right. our lives and yeah. our world. Wonderful. There we go. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Ed. Bye. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think, greg at consideringcatholicism.com.